Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library District. Hello, and welcome to Shelf Logic. My name is Caroline. And I'm Sierra. And welcome back to another edition of the TBR podcast. We are, if you've been listening to this series, um, you know that it's myself, Sierra, and usually Danielle. Um, last time we aired the TBR podcast, we were missing Sierra. This time we were missing Danielle. <laughs> so we're all just taking turns. Um, Haraway is the only one who's been here for all of them now. So no knock on. shade on us. Yeah, knock on something because that feels like a jinx. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we um, last time we were sans Sierra. So Sierra is going to be reviewing four books for us today. Um, and then next time Danielle will do the same. Um, so should be fairly uh, familiar now. Because this is the second time we've, uh, it's tough when you, I don't think people quite know like the process of filming a podcast. Mm -hmm. It's tough because when you're hearing this, we've filmed this well in advance. Um, and if that well in advance is like not well, well in advance, you just have to roll with it. So yeah. that's what we're doing today. Sometimes we're within a week and that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. So. so we're rolling today. Uh, and Danielle will catch us up on her reads the next time we meet for our CBR podcast. And hopefully we'll all be here. Exactly. So uh, I'm going to let Sierra kick it off since you've got quite a few yeah, <laughs> to refresh yeah. us on. We're going to bounce a little around a little bit differently instead of, you know, each of us doing one and then going around in two circles of that. We're going to, I'm going to start with one and then I'll let Caroline take over and then I'll do a couple. So we'll just have fun with this. But so from our last um, TBR poll, um, the two books I pulled were so not this last time, but the time before that, were Book Lovers by Emily Henry and The Bad Beginning by Lemony Snicket. That's a lot of whys in those names, I'm just realizing. <laughs> um, so to begin with, we'll talk about Book Lovers. So that's by Emily Henry. Danielle pulled that for me way back when. I don't even remember when that was anymore. Oh um, but I'm going to go ahead and read the Goodreads description and then I'll get into my thoughts. So Nora Stevens' life is books. She's read them all and she is not that type of heroine. Not the plucky one, not the laid-back dream girl, and especially not the sweetheart. In fact, the only people Nora is a heroine for are her clients, for whom she lands enormous deals as a cutthroat literary agent, and her beloved little sister Libby. Which is why she agrees to go to Sunshine Falls, North Carolina for the month of August when Libby begs her for a sister's trip away, with visions of a small-town transformation for Nora, who she's convinced needs to become the heroine in her own story. But instead of picnics in meadows, or run-ins with a handsome country doctor or bulging armed bartender, Nora kept, keeps bumping into Charlie Lastra, a bookish brooding editor from back in the city. It would be a meet-cute if not for the fact that they've met many times and it's never been cute. If Nora knows she's not an ideal heroine, Charlie knows he's nobody's hero. But as they are thrown together again and again in a series of coincidences no editor worth their salt would allow, what they discover might just unravel the carefully crafted stories they've written about themselves. So I have never read an Emily Henry book before. This was my first. Um, and I gave it four stars. I am not a five-star girly. I don't give the books five stars. Um, unless it's like changed my whole life. And I hate that Goodreads doesn't let you give a half star. Because I think this one I probably would have given four and a half. There's oftentimes where I'll just... I don't... I'm not usually very good at writing reviews. So I just put in my review how many stars I actually need to give it. So I'll put like three and a half or four and a half and give it three or four. Um, but I'd say this one's probably a pretty solid four to four and a half. 
Um, I'm not a huge romance reader. I do enjoy like clean romance or like faith fiction or Amish romance. So like I like the like gist of the stories. I've always enjoyed hallmarky movies and things like that. But I never really read like directly out of the romance genre. Um, so I wrote, but I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was really cute. Um, it gets a little bit more graphic than what I'm usually comfortable with at one point. So I did skip over that to be fair and honest. Um, but I thought like overall they did a really good job with that aspect of it. Um, I loved, and I know Caroline feels the same way, loved the sister plot. Yes. Um, as a big sister myself, I may or may not sometimes step into Nora territory when it comes to my little sister. I also loved that her sister's name is Libby. And if you're a library user, Libby might be a familiar name to you um, with our e-resources, one of our ebook apps. Um, so that was kind of like a fun little add-on that I feel like some bookish people would even know i wondered if that was a little purposeful plug yeah i kind of did too i don't know i don't know but i thought it was cute um but yeah no i there was definitely a little twist in the sister plot that i didn't see coming i will not give any spoilers um but yeah all of the feels of a big sister to a little sister are felt in this book so if you are a big sister and you feel maybe slightly overprotective of your little sister or like nobody else can be good enough for your little sister or nobody yeah just nobody's good enough to protect her or care for her or you want to be extra defensive of her then that can be a really a really touching point in this story for you too um i also love the story because i'm a book person and it's all about books and i don't write books but i sure often am heard saying that books are my whole life because I am a librarian and I do a lot of things with the books in my personal life. So um, I appreciated that too. I thought that was just a fun, um, I heard that her next book or one of her coming books is going to be about a children's librarian. And I may or may not be really excited about that because I don't know. I feel like we're not very well represented in literature. Agreed. Um, we could use more. Could definitely use more any authors who might be listening. It's fine. Um, but yeah, I just feel like books and book-related issues are often left out of books, which is weird. I mean, it feels weird. Like, it's sort of meta. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's weird, but it's not weird. But I don't know. I just, I thought that that was kind of a fun thing. And as somebody who knows a, a decent amount about the publishing industry, I felt like that was in the editing industry and all of that. And I felt like that was kind of a fun touch. So, yeah. I liked that too. Yeah. Yeah, that was... We were so excited. I'm so sad Danielle's not here to hear you review this because we were so excited for you to read this. Because, yeah, the oh, my gosh. The romance is fun. But, yeah, I think what I really leaned into when I read this book was the sister relationship. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and I actually just got back from seeing my little sister get married. And so I, when I read this, I think it was like a month leading up to the wedding. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I just, there were too many times where I was driving and listening to this and just weeping. Like, my face was soaked. I was like, <laughs> everybody's not going to never my sister. I love her so much. Um, so, yeah, which is not true. Her husband is wonderful. Um, I don't know if they listen. I doubt they listen to the pod. <laughs> but if they do, like, I love you. <laughs> right. And this, yeah, there were so many times where I texted her and was like, if you ever want to just get away and forget that you have children or a life or a house or responsibilities, you call me. Right. I will take you wherever you want to go. <laughs> and my sister was just like, are you reading a book again? Yeah, I will. Yep. Yeah. That They know us too well. They do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
No, I, I think that that's a fun thing, too, because, like, I don't feel like also sisters aren't super well represented in a ton of literature either. There's I'm sure that there's plenty that I haven't read, but I don't know. I thought that it was an extra an extra fun thing. And it was a very sweet relationship and very I felt like it really went into depth of their relationship yeah. in a way that I wouldn't have expected out of a romance book, because obviously the romanticism between the sisters uh it's you know like that that was like a subplot and yeah i just was really cool so. yeah i expected yeah i expected when i picked it up for there to be a lot more of the relationship between the two like main characters because that's mm-hmm. what you get out of typical romance novels but this was very much like yeah we're seeing this relationship build and that's fine but the real like growth and the real relationship building is between the sisters and yeah yeah it devastated me in a beautiful way yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it was sweet. So good. Yeah. And I'm so excited for the new Emily Henry book because I love Emily Henry. I yeah. like gobbles of her books. I just, oh, and that one got me. So yeah, yeah so children's librarian book, Trust, we will all be on that old list. Yes, yes. Well, um, I read the first one I'll review um, was called Fever Year, The Killer Flu of 1918 by Don Brown. Um, this is in our kids' health medical section. It's a graphic novel. Um, so I was, I've was i had this on my list for a while. I was really excited to read it. Um, but I'll give you the Goodreads description first. Um, this nonfiction graphic novel explores the causes, effects, and lessons learned from a major epidemic in our past and is the perfect tool for engaging readers of all ages, especially teens and tweens, learning from home. New Year's Day 1918, America has declared war on Germany and is gathering troops to fight. But there's something coming that is deadlier than any war. When people begin to fall ill, most Americans don't expect it to be influenza. The flu is known to be dangerous to very old, young, or frail people, but the Spanish flu is exceptionally violent. Soon, thousands of people succumb, then tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and more. Graves can't be dug quickly enough. What made the influenza of 1918 so exceptionally deadly, and what can modern science help us understand about this tragic episode in history? With a journalist's discerning eye for facts and an artist's instinct for true motion, Cyber Honor recipient Don Brown sets out to answer these questions and more in Fever Year. Um, so I <laughs> coincidentally put this on my to-be-read list in February of 2020. Solid. I love that for you. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw that, I was like, oh, no, that's like tummy ache inducing. And it was not even like, you know, February 28th. You know, it was like February 2nd. I was like, oh, this looks cute. What a fun little history book. Um, so history that we just got to basically live through. Yeah, it was. So the reading this post, like, I guess in a post-COVID world was very bizarre because there's a lot of resemblance between the 1918 flu and COVID. Um, and so it's a really kind of scary reminder and a, a good reminder, a solid reminder that if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Um, I say scary because it's only like 100 years apart. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at the story itself, like the book that Don Brown's written, and you see some of the things that go on during the 1918 flu, you're like, oh, no, only 100 years passed between or, you know, or so passed between the 1918 flu and COVID. And like, so seeing a lot of resemblance was like, oh, no, I don't yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that we're seeing so many similarities. Um, but I thought this was a really interesting graphic novel. Uh, I have a background in history. So anytime I find like a compelling history um nonfiction. i like historical fiction but um nonfiction pieces that are going to appeal to kids i really like those and i really lean into those 
Um, so this I thought was great. Um, the illustrations are really simple, but they're kind of spooky, like very haunting. Um, the facts are delivered in a way that's easy to understand without being like too dry or too textbook feeling. Um, I feel like I really didn't know a lot about the 1918 flu other than that it happened. Um, so this was really informative. I learned a lot, um, but it wasn't, I, at no point did I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm being bombarded with facts. Um, so I thought this was a really great book for any reader, but especially young historians mm -hmm. um, who are interested in history and like to see how events overlap. Um, the impact that the 1918 flu had on World War One is something that I was like vaguely aware of, but I did not know just how like dramatic the impact was. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and I think that this would be a really good tool, too, for um, teachers to create conversation um, about like the impact of overlapping major world events. Um, but also, again, like learning from the past and kind of diving into things that we've done prior to our time that we could look at and say like, okay, what could we do better if this ever happens again? Because it has. Um, and I thought there were a lot of things that we could have looked back to and learned from. And I thought that was, so that was interesting. Um, but yeah, a really great graphic novel. It was a really quick read. Um, I would definitely recommend it to anybody, especially if you're an adult who only knows that the 1918 flu occurred in 1918. <laughs> uh, that's, um, and I didn't, I also didn't know why we called it the Spanish flu. It's not typically what we call it anymore because it's kind of a misnomer. Um, but I didn't know why it got that name to begin with. So a very interesting little bit of history that they talk about in the book as to why, like, we generally call it the 1918 flu now. Mm -hmm. But why it got that Spanish flu title in the first place. So, yeah. That's really interesting. I know I felt like when I heard that you were reading this one, I was like, wow, okay. Because I had read the one about Voices for the Pandemic. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember how long ago that was, but it was for the TBR podcast. And yeah, it's it's something interesting for us to look at this historical, this point in history in 1918 when this happened and then to compare it to what happened in 2020 and how mm -hmm. we all reacted to it and how it you know impacted the world and what the you know death rates even were and yeah. all that like it's and you know the unfortunate things that we didn't learn from the 1918 flu that we repeated in 2020 or whatever you know there's yeah. so many different things and i feel like i don't know did you feel any like ptsd of sorts <laughs> like i don't want to overuse the term ptsd but like did you feel any of that reading it did it really hit home to you yeah, there were definitely things that um, reading them, I was just kind of like, oh, gosh, that's so weird to think about. Um, they do mention like some of the role that libraries had in the 1918 flu. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting to see like when COVID hit, we closed um, and not too long after we were reopened to do curbside. But then we also were handing out COVID tests and, um, you know, the libraries, the kind of like the font of information even in the internet age so and so there was a lot of likeness between us doing what we had to do to help in a public health crisis and what librarians were doing in 1918 to make sure people were still getting information because there is no internet in 1918 like right you're the only person that people could come to for information mm -hmm. um so they were doing a lot of public health work they were um helping in any way that they could and that was yeah like Maybe not necessarily PTSD, but very much like, oh, wow, that's so similar to my own experience that it's kind of like 
spooky. Yeah, and jarring in a little way of like, oh, that feels really close to home. Yeah. 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 So it was, that was cool. Um, gosh, there was something else that I thought of that was like, ah, but I've lost it now because it was all kind of, ah, yeah. oh, oh my gosh. They, so of course in 1918, we know a lot less about uh, modern medicine and well, you know, we don't know anything about modern medicine because we're living in 1918. Uh so we know a lot less about medicine and a lot less about science and about like what things are safe to do and what we should be doing. And so um, there were a lot of interesting parts where they were talking about like they didn't know what to do with bodies. And like it said in the description, there started to be so many people dying at the same time that they just didn't know. Like they just started kind of piling up and they were like, well, we don't we can't dig graves fast enough because the grave digger also has 1918 flu. So what do yeah. we do? Um, and they talked in the book about how they were like, well, do we burn books? Because if you touch a book and you're sick, is it safe for that book to keep circulating? <laughs> like, do we just light everything on fire? Do we burn bodies? Because we don't know how yeah. safe it is. Do we put bodies in like a leaden cast? Yeah. Because we don't know if the body can still like dispel germs and if mm -hmm. it's safe for the grave digger to even put the body in the grave Yeah. when they have a chance to. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there were just some things that you're just like, oh boy, yeah, we didn't know enough yeah. then to know that like and i mean we had the same experience with covid i was just gonna say we quarantine returned materials for a few days back in the very beginning yep. because yeah we didn't know like could you get it off of surfaces this was a new virus yeah i remember I know. gosh it was not long after covid first hit that they had like they finally were able to like disembark a cruise ship where like everybody had covid and um, scientists went on board the cruise ship to, like, test the air, test surfaces to find out, like, this is a great Petri dish of uh, germs to figure out what all we're doing here. And they found that, like, germs were circulating in the air still 10 days later, but they weren't on surfaces. But it was hard to tell because it's in the air. So if it's still in the air and it touches the surface, like, is it contaminated? Um, but in 1918, they didn't have those tools. They didn't have the opportunity to, like, backpedal and try to find things out so they were just like well i don't know if you uh find a nightgown in the street i don't know you know like if you if your loved one passes away do you burn all their clothes do you yeah. burn their bed yeah do you just burn your whole house down like we don't know what to do yeah so it was very interesting to see like the differences between then and now and like how quickly sometimes it felt like things were changing so quickly during covid that you were like what is anyone talking about like do we know what we're doing yeah. But because things change so fast and we have an opportunity to, like, step back and research things, it helps you understand, like, there's a reason why we're finding things out so quickly and so often. Yeah. So it's, and why it's changes is that on that, too, because what we might have thought further research has told us actually isn't true. Yeah. Not. So, yeah. Yeah. Yes. It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really cool book. So if you are interested in, like, medical science or history or you just, like, graphic novels. Yeah. Pandemics. <laughs> Uh, if you're just somebody who likes graphic novels, this was a really good book. I liked it. That's awesome. Yeah. Glad. Yeah. Yeah. A good pick. Good, good. Okay. So I'm going to move on to my next book, um, which was from the previous draw again, which is The Bad Beginning by Lemony Snicket. This is the first book in the series of unfortunate events and is a children's um, chapter book. So Caroline pulled this one for me last time, and I'm going to go ahead and read you the Goodreads description which is written like a letter from the author. Dear reader, I am sorry to say that the book you are holding in your hands is extremely unpleasant. It tells an unhappy tale about three very unlucky children. Even though they are charming and clever, the Baudelaire siblings lead lives 
filled with misery and woe. From the very first page of this book, when the children are at the beach and receive terrible news, continuing on through the entire story, disaster lurks at their heels. One might say they are magnets for misfortune. In this short book alone, the three youngsters encounter a greedy and repulsive villain, itchy clothing, a disastrous fire, a plot to steal their fortune, and cold porridge for breakfast. It is my sad duty to write down these unpleasant tales, but there is nothing stopping you from putting this book down at once and reading something happy, if you prefer that sort of thing. With all due respect, Lemony Snicket. Um, so, this book I gave two stars and I felt like that was generous. <laughs> Um, I do apparently prefer happy. Um, but like, my question was, is this unfortunate or is it horrifying? Yeah. <laughs> I felt like it was horrifying. Um, yes, the, some of the events, obviously they're not the kids' fault. But like, so in that respect, I can see why they were unfortunate. But I just, I had a lot of thoughts and none of them were positive. The biggest thing that I did not appreciate about this book is that there's absolutely no explanation about what's going on that's be, that's bad. Like, why is this bad? That this is bad. Um, it's called The Bad Beginning. It's called The Series of Unfortunate Events. And it's clear that the kids aren't happy in this, but there's no conversation about it. There's, I mean... I felt like we we're glorifying child marriage. Why are we glorifying the marriage of a 14-year-old, as I think how old she was? Like, there was nothing that said that that was bad in the whole book. And I don't understand why. Um, yeah, just like there's so many lessons that could have been learned from these. And I understand that we don't want to preach at the kids and we don't want to, you know, necessarily always have like a lesson learned from everything. But just the glorification of some of this stuff was just disgusting to me. Um, also, where are the grown-ups? Like, all of the grown-ups in this book are bad. Yeah. There's one, like, okay grown-up who just disappears. And then comes back kind of at the end. But, like, it just... None of... Like, where are the good grown-ups? Are there no good grown-ups in this society? Mm -mm. Apparently not. I love an independent an independent kid story. But where are the good grown-ups? It reminds me of, like, when you first start watching Matilda... And you're like, yes. oh, no, her parents are the worst and her principal's the worst. And then, like, she meets Miss Honey and you're like, oh, thank goodness. Like, yeah, somebody who cares, somebody who's like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And I've read a few of the series of Unfortunate Events books now and everyone is the same. Where, like, yeah. they get a good adult who might care about them and then that adult is quickly, like, not in the picture anymore. Yeah. And so it's, it is a long, unfortunate series. Yeah. It's, they're, I think I'm on, I think I'm about to approach book eight or nine and it just does not get any less bleak yeah i'm just like i don't i don't understand and granted i've heard that there are kids who love these mm -hmm. issues i'm sure that there are goodreads is filled with great reviews of them as an adult it's disgusting to me and i don't think i can ever recommend it again yeah <laughs> like it's always been one of those that's like i've just known anything about so i was like oh well here's a good series long 13 books yep you know if you're into a series, maybe that's a thing for you. Well, maybe it's not. Um, I did appreciate that there's some good vocabulary and the vocabulary is defined, which I have kind of a hit or miss relationship with. If you're really good at defining things for yourself with context clues, that might feel a little bit too much. But I do appreciate the definitions are given if that's not your thing. Um, 
but yeah, I just, I would not, I'm not going to finish the series. I, I can't. And it's not just because the, se- the events are unfortunate. It's that they're horrifying. Yeah. I don't know what other word to use for that. Horrifying, disgusting. I just didn't appreciate it. Yeah. So. Yeah. The first book really does set a stage for like, oh, this is, yeah. Like this is not just beyond, this goes beyond like unfortunate. And mm-hmm. yeah, it does creep into like, uh, um, like cringeworthy is kind of my best yeah. way of like, even if you're not horrified by it, you're like, oh, why is this happening? This yeah. is not like, I don't know. There's nothing about it that's uplifting. Even if you were a kid that like, I remember reading like the first three or four as a kid. Um, but I was the kind of kid that if a series wasn't finished, I was like, nope, um, I'll wait till you're done. <laughs> and then, uh, that. so I ran up to like the first three or four and I knew like, oh yeah, a child marrying a grown up is bad, but also... Yeah, there's never a point where anybody says to the kids, like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Like, yeah. that is horrifying. That is yeah. traumatizing uh, because all the grown-ups in the books stink. Yeah. They don't. They're not there to be support. Um, I'm curious to see how the series ends because I'm at a point where it's starting to kind of ramp up a little bit. And it feels like okay. I'm getting into more of like a resolution point. Mm-hmm. But obviously I have four or five more books to go. So yeah. Uh, yeah. we'll see. And like with the child marriage thing that's a spoiler and this is a spoiler but like she does get out of it yeah but like it's She's not it. exactly so it's like if if by getting out of the situation we determine that that's how the situation is bad you know if that's how we determine that the situation is bad then okay mm-hmm. but also like yeah there was nothing like oh that shouldn't have happened yeah it was just like oh he is bad right count Olaf is bad We'll just remove you from him. Yeah. It's not, no, this whole situation is bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And two stars felt like a reach. Don't differentiate. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. I feel like as a kid, I gave up for different reasons than it's taking me so long as an adult. As an adult, it's like, oh, this is a slog because there's nothing I can find about this that I'm like, yeah, I would recommend this to kids. This is fun. No, it's not. There's not really anything too fun about it. Yeah. Totally. Okay, since I have four, I'm going to move on to my next one. Um, for this poll, for this podcast, um, Danielle polled Girl Unbroken for me. This is by Regina Calcaterra and Rosie Maloney. Um, so I'll read you the Goodreads description. In the highly anticipated sequel to her New York Times bestseller, Etched in Sand, Regina Calcaterra pairs with her youngest sister, Rosie, to tell Rosie's harrowing yet ultimately triumphant story of childhood abuse and survival. They were five kids with five different fathers and an alcoholic mother who left them to fend for themselves for weeks at a time. Yet though it yet through it all they had each other. Rosie, the youngest, is fawned over and shielded by her older sister Regina. Their mother Cookie blows in and out of their lives like a hurricane, blind and uncaring to everything in her path. But when Regina discloses the truth about her abusive mother to her social worker, she is separated from her younger siblings Norman and Rosie. And as Rosie discovers after couldn't uh, and as Rosie discovers after Cookie kidnaps her from foster care, the one thing worse than being abandoned by her mother is living in Cookie's presence. Beaten physically, abused emotionally, and forced to labor at the farm where, where Cookie settles in Idaho, Rosie refuses to give in. Like her sister Regina, Rosie has an unfathomable strength in the face of unimaginable hardship, enough to propel her out of Idaho and out of a nightmare. 
Filled with maturity and grace, Rosie's memoir continues the compelling story begun in Etched in Sand, a shocking yet profoundly moving testament to sisterhood and indomitable indomitable courage. Wow, I can't talk. That's fun. It's okay. A lot of words. Yeah. And this was a hard one. Um, on the sister theme and also on the horrifying theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I didn't technically rate this one because I felt like it was really hard to rate. If I had to rate it, I would have given it a four stars, but I didn't rate it technically because um, the subject was just too heavy. Yeah. I didn't feel like I could rate it because I felt like by giving it a star rating, it was almost saying it was good but and it was it was an excellently written book i listened to the audiobook of it loved the audio um but the content is just so brutal yeah that it's just really hard to rate over over the stars on goodreads like four says really liked it and five i think says loved it and sometimes when you see that you're just like like oh i didn't liked it but i didn't like it yeah yeah it's hard it's really hard so i read etched in sand i think Two years ago, because I think I remember reading it on a plane or listening to it on a plane um, upon the recommendation of a dear friend. And I I don't think I ever asked her afterwards, like, why in the world did you recommend this book to me? <laughs> because it was just not what I expected it to be from this friend. I was just like, you recommended this to me? Like, I, I just I didn't understand. It was really good. But I don't remember why she recommended it. And I kind of want to go back and ask her, but I haven't yet. So um, I was just shocked by the content of Etched in Sand. And when we decided to do the TBR podcast, I was kind of putting a TBR list back together. I think I've talked about this. I kind of had dismantled my TBR list there for a while because I was just so overwhelmed by it. Um, So I went back and I was looking through books I'd read. And I was like, oh, I would really love to hear Rosie's story. Um, Etched in Sand follows Regina's story. Okay. And this is Rosie's story. So Regina is either the oldest or the second oldest sister. And then Rosie is the youngest of this um, sibling group of five. Um, so, yeah, I was just totally gripped when I heard Regina's story. Um, and so when I heard that this was out there, I really wanted to read it. Um, again, I'll use the word horrifying again. It was horrifyingly real. And it was an absolute example of the failure of many systems meant to help children like fight these kinds of situations um the abuse of a parent is i can't fathom the amount of abuse that these children experience these are true stories and the amount of abuse that they endured i can't i can't fathom that i don't understand it i don't understand what would cause an adult to do that to their own flesh and blood child i don't understand what was broken in their mother's mind and in her life to make her this way and it does talk about a little bit i think in etched in sand of like mom's history but not a ton uh it's mostly about the kids and yeah i just i don't understand how you could be like that to your children yeah um or if you were fearful of becoming that why you wouldn't allow somebody safer to raise them um I don't, I, I just, I will never understand that. Um, I was amazed by how well Rosie was able to adjust to life later on. So it does, she does give like an epilogue where she talks about her life as an adult and she did struggle for a while with her own children, but she, it sounds like has turned into a wonderful, fully functioning adult as have most of her siblings, um, which is just wild to me. I mean, 
we should we think that something like foster care should come in and help but the abuse that they experience at the hands of foster parents and the abuse that you know being kidnapped by their mom from foster homes like and then nobody caught up with that like i don't i don't understand how and i know that this is a reality i yeah. know that this happens today but it's just it's so sad that yeah. that that's reality so um kind of wrote in my notes kind of like the bad beginning where are the good grown-ups here there were not good grown-ups in this story um regina tried to come in and and help rosie a few times and there's a very big age gap and i don't remember exactly how big it is but it was significant to the point where the three oldest and then the two youngest were separated for a long time um yeah i just it was very very sad um, and it also just made me want to be extra aware of kids. I work with kids. I have a lot of kids in my own life. You know, watching out for those kinds of things in all of the situations that I live in, I think this really made me more aware of making sure to A, be a good grown-up, mm-hmm. even if I don't know the situation. Yeah. Even if it looks like it could be healthy, because let me tell you, this mom... You know, there were plenty of times when there sh- she should have gotten caught, but she looked like a good mom on the outside sometimes, and so she didn't get caught. Yep. And so we're, you know, obviously not wanting to look at every awesome parent as you're bad, but like, just to be aware and to be a safe grown-up so that if somebody is in a situation and I don't know it, they are comfortable coming to me and telling me. Yeah. Um, I would never want to n- not know. I would prefer to be helpful if that were a situation that any child I knew was in. Yeah, so, I agree. Um, yeah, there's just, there's just there were too many opportunities in these children's life for a good grown-up to come in and help, and none of them took it. And so, yeah, where does that leave us? Yeah. So, yeah, this was brutal. It was a brutal read. It was excellent. If you're ready to have your heart ripped out of your chest and know that it's real life, go for it. Um, I also can't believe her mom's name is Cookie. It's that's got to be a nickname, like, right? I don't know, but the kids call her Cookie, like to her face in the book. So I don't, I don't know if that's, yeah, I have no idea. But um, yeah, it was, it was brutal, but sweet to see the sibling relationships. Sweet to you know watch some of that and see some of the good grown ups. There was a librarian in there. Oh, good. Um, and she was, I think she was one of those good grown ups who was really aware and just didn't know what to do to help. Yeah, she loved on her when she had that opportunity but these kids moved around all over the country and so she only had a few months time to spend with her but then she gave her a book to take with her and like when she left the school and all this it was so cute that almost made me cry um but yeah it was it was a rough read yeah well and and when you talk about the librarian it's a good reminder too that like you can do as much as you can and and maybe you think like oh i didn't do enough or i didn't have the resources or the knowledge to do more but like what a profound impact that that made on rosie because she's obviously writing about it recalling it so it's like even if you're thinking like oh man i I didn't do enough or i wish i could have done more it's like just being as much of a good grown-up as you can be uh like a positive impact and good influence on the kids that you do encounter in your life like Mm -hmm. good reminder that like those little things do make a really big difference absolutely and then yeah there are things that they look back at later on in life and they say okay here was a moment of hope yeah yeah where someone was good to me and I like got reminded that there are good adults Mm -hmm. yeah 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 it was rough sounds yeah it sounds really good but yeah 
And also, friend, I know you don't listen to this. Why did you recommend? <laughs> I don't understand. I need to know. I need to know now. Oh, I need to know. I'm going to have to text her later. Yeah. Do you remember why you recommended this to me? <laughs> uh, so um, my second book um, is a very popular one right now. So I will announce what it is. And then I encourage you to skip if you need to, because um, this has been all over book talk. This has been a very popular read. Um, my second book was They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera. Um, and it's very hard to talk about this book without giving anything away. So like I said, skip, skip, skip. Does the title give anything away? Well, that's the fun thing. <laughs> that's the big question, right? So um, I'll read the description and then I'll get into what I said. But like I said, if you need to skip, I will not, my feelings will not be hurt. I won't even know. Um, so they both die at the end. Um, on September 5th, a little after midnight, Deathcast calls Mateo Torres and Rufus Emeterio to give them bad news. They're both going to die today. Mateo and Rufus are both total strangers, but for different reasons, they are looking to make a new friend on their end day. The good news, there's an app for that. It's called The Last Friend, and through it, Rufus and Mateo are about to meet up for one last great adventure, to live a lifetime in a single day. Adam Silvero reminds us that there's no life without death and no love without loss in this devastating yet uplifting story about two people whose lives change over the course of one unforgettable day. Wow. Yeah, so this has been on my to-be-read list for a while, um, just because I like the author and I liked the concept. Um, but then there was a um, Pop Sugar Reading Challenge prompt to read a book that takes mm -hmm. place in one day. So I was like, oh, this is a perfect fit. Um, oh, Truly, turn back now if you don't want spoilers because I could, like I said, I could not really talk about this book without spoiling a lot. Um, the title is a spoiler. Uh, so I started my review and I have to, I just have to read it because I was emphatic. I said, Adam, Mr. Silvera, stop it right now. <laughs> um, I love this book so much. It shattered me and lifted me up at the same time. And I think that's exactly what it's meant to do. If you've ever wanted to know the date that you'll die, this book answers the question, what would you do if you knew it was your last day alive? Our characters get a call anywhere between midnight and 3 a.m. from a dystopian company calling to let them know it's their last day. We follow characters as they live their last day, whether they spend it with friends, live streaming it, or fake skydiving. Um, so there were a lot of like little elements in this book that were fun and kind of funky. They have, it's totally dystopian. When you think about it, you're just like, this is messed up. But yeah, they get a call from this random company that just they're called death cast and they're the ones that make the call to tell you you're gonna die and wow. nobody knows how they know nobody knows if like they like how do these people get hired um they even like challenge one of the death cast callers at one point and they're like you know this is like a really horrible job right like this is messed up that you're the person that has to call and deliver this kind of news and they're like hey man somebody's gotta do it and it's just like oh yeah i guess so but then there are like um I guess kind of like VR experience places where you can go and like, oh, I've never been to Paris and I'm going to die today. So I guess I'll virtually go to Paris or I'll virtually skydive or I'll virtually, you know, bungee jump, whatever. You know, there's all kinds of different things that you can do. So that concept was also like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then you remember like, oh, this thing is invented because they're going to die. Um, so that was sad. Um, and then this last friends app was interesting. They you download the app and you like state your intentions like I I want to have like one romantic day before I die or like I just need a friend to like talk me through this and like stay with me and walk me through and you can you can be someone that's gotten the death cast call and be a friend or you can be like I guess an ally to the people that are getting the calls 
Um, so Mateo and Rufus have both gotten the call, both jumped on the app, and then made friends with each other. Um, so their connection's instant. Their friendship is really, really sweet. Um, Rufus has endured a lot that's made him kind of hardened, while Mateo is very, like, avoidant and very anxious. Um, so Rufus has gotten to live a lot, and Mateo has, like, sheltered himself in in a way that's not given him the opportunity to live quite as much as you might want to when you find out that you're not going to see another day. Um, they balance each other really nicely and it shows that there's more life than the way that they've been living it, which was kind of nice. Um, everything about their relationship is very raw, very vulnerable. They trust each other a lot. Um, exactly what you would imagine that a relationship with a stranger would be like if you knew that that was like the last bond you'd ever make with a human being. Um, I hoped throughout the book, and this is where the spoilers come in, truly turn back now. Um, I hoped throughout the book that they were going to defy Death Call's prediction. Like, they would have some mystery and, like, some, like, halfway through the book, they'd be like, oh, well, we figured out, like, how they know and we know how to defy it. And, like, uh, but no, uh, the story is not meant to give you any resolution. It's not meant to be, like, a happy ending. It hurts. Like, I finished this, I think I was at, I think I was in the pod. I think I finished this at my desk and, like, turned and just was like, oh, <laughs> Oh, no, because there's no way to avoid it. Um, and so Silvera tells you right from the beginning, they both die at the end. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, he had an interesting author's note at the end where he says, like, I didn't mean for this to not be a spoiler. Like, I tell you right from the jump, like, you can have hope if you want to, but it's going to devastate you. Like, it's only going to hurt you more the more you think, like, well, they can figure this out. They're not going to die. No, he tells you right from the beginning. Um And that's kind of, like, the beautiful thing about the story is that, like, you are willing to hold out hope even though you've been told how this is going to end. So throughout the book, you're like, no, 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 it's okay. They'll figure it out. And they're kind of doing the same thing. They're like, we've got this one day. We don't know how it's going to end. We don't know. We just know we're going to die. And so we have to live it to, like, the utmost and the fullest. And so, like, the more you do that, the more it does hurt to die and to go. But, like, it makes for, like, a beautiful hurt. Mm. And that's, like, what you get out of this. Um, like, I just, throughout the whole book, was like, please, please don't be the way this ends. Like, I don't want it to. And then when it does end the way Adam Silvera tells you it's going to, you weep at your desk like a, a sad, sad baby. Um <laughs> But it's about being willing to take risks, calculated or reckless. Um, it's about loving your friends and your family and your orbit so hard that it hurts when they go. Um, it's a reminder to readers that you get one shot at life and we don't get to call. We don't get a call like they do in the book. Like we don't know when our last day is. So we're challenged to treat every day like it could be the last day. And he makes it so like not cliched. Um, like even though that message is kind of you know, everybody talks about that and everybody, it's a little cliche, but yeah. Adam Silvera manages to make it like the least cliched message possible. So uh, I've read some book talk books that did not live up to the hype and this one did. Oh, so I'm so glad. Oh, uh, yeah. So if you, if you have been meaning to read this, definitely do it. Wow. Well, that sounds really intense, but also excellent. I mean, yeah. I, I remember the first time I saw that on the shelf in the teen space and I was like, they both die at the end. Sounds like a great book. Right. Um, Yeah. But that's, I mean, I think it's really good to consider those kinds of things from like a stereotypical cliche type Mm -hmm. thing. Like it is good to consider how we're living our lives. And if this was our last day, how would we, how would we live it? And to make sure that we're 
you know, appreciating things rightly and saying and doing things the way that we would want to be remembered or, you know, making sure that we're doing the things that are important to us or loving the people that are important to us. But wow, I would, yeah, definitely dystopian. I'm I'm curious about the fact that it's just in general teen fiction. I mean, there's not like a sci-fi element to it, but like I, that's, that's interesting to me that they would have classified it that way because it, everything you're describing feels very dystopian because yeah by dystopia it is essentially based in the right right. yeah so that was how i felt too like there were a couple times throughout the book where i was like this could be supernatural or like sci-fi yeah um because you never get to find out how death call makes the call so right but like how would they not have it through some kind of like supernatural or sci-fi means i guess like right um yeah and and yeah you think about like this is treated like present day but it's obviously not our present day like it's right obviously a different timeline but they're not they don't have technology that we don't have like right they're not running around on like hoverboards and it's it's not the jetsons like yeah it's all very realistic so yeah i thought it was interesting that it fell into general fiction too because i would have I would have thought it was more along the lines of like a supernatural or sci-fi yeah. dystopian yeah. kind of thing. There is a prequel, I believe. I think it's a prequel. Um, I, I seem to recall hearing about that as well. Yeah, I know that it's out. It's on my, it's <laughs> shocker. It's on my to-be-read list. <laughs> um, yeah, it's called The First to Die at the End. So I think it's a prequel about the first person to get a death cast call. Oh. Um, Which might so, answer some of our questions. That's what I'm hoping. Um, but also, his the first, the first name of the character in the prequel book is, again, like, how is this not in the sci-fi section? His name is Orion Pagan. I don't think it could be friend. someone's actual name, but, like, that's a very, I don't know. Especially in 2023. That's sci-fi. Know, that, does, that does very much feel sci-fi to me. So I'll, uh, it may come up on my uh, TBR polls Sunday, yeah, but go. I will definitely re- read that one because this was yeah. very good. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm glad it was really good and sounds like a very intriguing concept for sure. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? No. And that's, I throughout the book, I was like, gosh, would I want to know? Yeah. I don't know if I want to know. That's one of those, like, get to know you questions. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, only when you really know somebody well, like... Yeah, we'll just have that conversation as a youth team one of these days. Yeah, would you want to know? Would you want to know? There's like, you know, how's the weather? What's your color? Would you want to know if you were told that you could die? Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, technically, any of us could die any day. But like, would would you want to know if I knew? If I knew when you were going to die, would you want to know the exact date? Yeah, that's the interesting thing too is that they don't specify like time. They don't tell you how. Like, they just tell you it's going to happen today. And so That's for frightening, yeah. Well, exactly for someone like Mateo, who's so afraid to go outside, and so he's also he's got a father who's in a coma, I believe. Um, it's been long enough now that I can't quite remember if he's very sick or if he's in a coma. Um, so he's already very risk avoidant. He's already very nervous, and so for him to like live his life and enjoy his last day, he has to step way outside of his comfort mm-hmm. zone. But they also don't tell you how you're going to die. So he's like, I could literally fall down the stairs in my apartment building. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Or I could get on a bus and the bus gets in a big crash and that's it. It seems like. Start asking around on the bus. Did you also get a feel that you're going to die? Have you, has your phone rang today between 12 and 3? Right. Yeah. So it's like, on the one hand, you get to know it's today. But on the other, now do you take all the risks in the world or do you avoid everything? Because 
it could be just stepping off the curb but that's reality so that's uh, i don't know it was very it was one of those books where you finish it and then you're like oh i need to reflect on my own life now i don't like that (laughs) yeah for sure and those can be good yes but also hard yes yeah wow well i'm glad you enjoyed it thank you me too all right. My last pick was by Caroline. Um, it's Star Girl by Jerry Spinelli. So I will go ahead and read the Goodreads description. Leo Borlock follows the unspoken rule at Micah Area High School. Don't stand out under any circumstances. Then Star Girl arrives at Micah High and everything changes for Leo and for the entire school. After 15 years of homeschooling, Stargirl bursts into 10th grade in, a, in an explosion of color and a clatter of ukulele music, enchanting the Micah student body. But the delicate scales of popularity suddenly shift, and Stargirl is shunned for everything that makes her different. Somewhere in the midst of Stargirl's arrival and rise and fall, normal Leo Borlock has tumbled into love with her. In a celebration of nonconformity, Jerry Spinelli weaves a tense emotional tale about the fleeting, cruel nature of popularity and the thrill and inspiration of first love. Um, so this one was one that, yeah, I felt like was a really long time coming for me to read. It's been on my list and just like I've been aware of it for years and years. Um, I gave this three stars. Um, first off, I listened to the audiobook. <clears throat> um, what is a saguaro? <laughs> the mispronunciation <laughs> of saguaro? Like... <laughs> I instantly know where you might be located in this great United States by the way you pronounce Saguaro. Like, I like I, I understand that it doesn't look like it sounds, but how did you get hired yeah. to read an audiobook that mm-hmm. takes this takes place in Arizona? Yeah. How did you do that? And you didn't look it up. Saguaro. Saguaro. There was another one that I was trying to remember when I was thinking through what I was going to say for this. I think it was Ocotillo. I think they like brutally mispronounced or something. Mm-hmm. Like, but it was, I feel like it was sillier than that because I hear Ocotillo. Yeah. Like, it was, it was something that was just like, everybody who lives in Arizona would know you butchered that. And that, the number of times they said saguaro in this oh book, it, could, it wasn't just like once. It was like, what's a chapter? Oh my god! I could not believe it. I just yeah. Anyway, no, that's that, a big pep. That's that's a hill I will die on. As someone who moved to this state from a state where I'm sure people say saguaro, it's it's odd to me that not more people like look up the pronunciation because like yeah, the G is silent, y'all. I don't know yeah. if, if everybody listening knows this. The G is silent. Do not yeah. say saguaro. Just like you would not say knife. Right, exactly. Like there are letters that appear yeah. in a word that don't make any sound. It's yeah. Saguaro. It's, and it's like incorrect. You just really don't know. I totally sure. get that. That's just life. If you don't live with with Saguaros, and now we're doing it. I'm almost gonna say it. Um, but like if you don't live in the desert, I can understand that you don't know. But why you narrated an entire audio book that said saguaro so many times i just i don't know Ugh. it's fine i can get off that horse now Erks. um i i'm not a huge teen lit reader like i enjoy a lot of teen sci-fi back to sci-fi but like i've not really always been a huge like general teen fiction read and i feel like that really um was a big part in why i didn't love this one um i just wasn't that impressed it wasn't it wasn't a big thing to me I didn't love how Stargirl was a homeschooler 
and I didn't feel like she was like portrayed and granted I understand that this was written like 20 years ago but I don't feel like that that like homeschool to public school thing where she was portrayed as the odd kid and just like the super extravagantly odd person didn't love that yeah um because it's not true (laughs) and and there are differences in different types of homeschool and there are way like so many different people who do different things but as somebody who knows a ton of people who've been homeschooled that's not typically the case yeah they might be a little different because of what they believe or what they think or you know the way that they were educated or whatnot if they were to go from public or from homeschool to public school but it's not this extreme yeah the naive stereotype is like yeah 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 i don't love the feeding of that stereotype um it wasn't a terrible read overall or a terrible listen i guess i should say Um, i feel like i struggled most with their writing style it felt a little choppy Mm -hmm. i think that that was intentional um but it's just not something that i personally like i really like things that flow a lot more um i just yeah i felt like it jumped around a little bit and like the storyline was pretty solid but i don't know i just i didn't feel like it flowed that well um i can see why a teen might enjoy this especially somebody who's not so much into reading because i feel like that choppy style can kind of draw that in and this was a shorter book mm-hmm. um i did love that it was a mar- male narrator as far as like leo was the main character and he was the narrator it wasn't star girl i feel like there's not enough books just in general with a mar- male main character that's like the narrator of the like the point of view narrator yeah um i just i don't think that that's something that we see enough in kids fiction and teen fiction we need more of that again authors fyi if you're listening um and then you know star girl was definitely the main subject but leo was a very significant part of the story and so i thought that that was important um i did also appreciate like the life lesson that was kind of like woven in there about the fleeting popularity and um how that can easily flip over and turn into mass group hatred of somebody as i said um it you know, Stargirl was great and popular and weird. And then all of a sudden she was bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. Popularity is not popularity is not all it's cracked up to be. No. And I think that that's important to read about. It's important to see it in a story form and not just in real life. This is kind of like an out there sort of story, but it could theoretically happen in a lot of ways. And I don't know. I thought it was an interesting read, but not one that I love sure so that makes sense yeah i feel like um more stories need to encapsulate that like shiny new toy feeling of mm-hmm. being a new kid because if you've never been the new kid you at least knew a new kid mm-hmm. and everybody everybody who's been in any type of school work environment where someone new comes in you know that feeling of like i have to get to know them and i have to like figure out like what they like and maybe we like the same things and oh look she plays ukulele that's weird and cool yeah. and interesting and but that is it to everybody on their birthday oh i love that for her yeah that's cute I hated it, but that's fine <laughs> that was part of why she was weird so that's yeah i feel like uh if you have enough people in your school that is a lot of birthdays yeah it gets old fast i mean i like start doing that here at the library i can uh, walk around the, the little office space and ukulele i don't know how to play a ukulele but that's fine you can learn there's books on that (laughs) you can learn on that caroline come on but yeah it's uh it's fun to like explore that idea of like popularity is so fleeting and a lot of it when you're the new kid is purely based on the fact that you're brand new Mm -hmm. and 
people love that. People love to explore the shiny new toy. And yeah. when you are no longer the new kid or when that like shine is worn off, they're like, oh, and you're, where are you? Like yeah. past it now. So it's, yeah, I appreciate books that explore that. And I appreciate books that explore like what Leo is to Stargirl in the way of like, yeah, that shine's worn off for other people, but like Leo still appreciates it. And like, I, I want more books about that feeling Mm -hmm. because I really want kids to know that like a if you're the new kid there are people that care about you Mm -hmm. and just because the majority have lost interest it doesn't mean that you're like washed up or people don't care about you at all but on the same side when you know the new kid being a good friend of that person and being consistent and staying friends with them even once everybody else is kind of like let it go and Mm -hmm. gotten over it is so important yeah Absolutely. Very critical point. I like that a lot. Because, yeah, it's when you are new, it can be very scary. Mm-hmm. And then if you do have that shiny new toy, I love that saying, um, and the the tie-in to this, um, yeah, if you do have that experience, it does wear off. Yeah. Yeah. But then to have somebody who doesn't ignore you is important. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So... Lots of lots of interesting reads this go around. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we had a lot of good ones. I'm excited to see what Danielle thought of her too. Yeah. Um, we have drawn um just like last time when Sierra was out with us, we've drawn some um titles and like run them by each other and they're all good to go. So um, super quick mention Danielle oh, yes. from this time. So next time Danielle's gonna start with um Mirror Mirror by Jen Yeah. Kawanida. I'm probably totally butchering that. Caroline pulled that one for her. And then I pulled A Thousand Lives, The Untold Story of Hope, Deception, and Survival at Jonestown, oh, which I know I are talking about that one. So, yep. Yep. She's definitely been uh, like talking about it and thinking about it since uh, she finished it. So, yeah. definitely going to be interested to see what she thought of that. Yeah. And then hers for this time are. Cinder by Marissa Meyer, which um, I think I pulled that one. Mm-hmm. And then Caroline pulled The 19th Wife by David Evershoff. Yes. So be interested to hear what she thinks of those. Yeah, me too, especially Cinder, because that's I think that's on my list. Um, but I'm not a huge sci-fi reader, so it's been one that I put on there because I know it's popular. It's been on mine too. I, like I said, I like sci-fi books, but it's definitely one that I haven't started yet. So I'm excited to hear what she thinks. Yeah, me too. That'll be that'll be an interesting one to get someone else's perspective on. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell them what your two polls are? Yeah, mine for next month, or not next month, next time, are Do Hard Things, A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations by Alex and Brett Harris. This is one that's been on my list for a long time as somebody who does some leading of some teens here at the library. I've been really curious about this one. I've heard great things from some teens in my life about it. So I am very curious to hear or to read it. Um, And then the other one that I picked was The Tattooist of Auschwitz. So that, well, back to Caroline picked that one for me. Yeah, that one. That was my going to be i think both of these are going to be kind of heavy mm-hmm. i think do hard things is going to be lighter but i think yeah. it'll be um definitely a series it's a non-fiction obviously and then tattoos of auschwitz so that one's one that i somehow haven't gotten around to yet just like most of my tbr list doesn't okay well i mean look at me 
Um, which it's fine. You've read most of the books I'm reading, though, girl. So that's part of it. Yeah, most of them. Yeah, the Tattoos of Auschwitz. I've read the whole series, but that was one that like my mother and I, my mother-in-law and I loved so much that we were like passing between the two of us. So yeah, I'm very excited to see what you think of that. Um, and then very on theme, actually, I pulled Tattooist of Auschwitz for you and you pulled The Boy Who Followed His Father into Auschwitz for me by Jeremy Dronfield. So if you don't want to listen to Auschwitz talk, yeah. don't don't listen to yeah. podcast. Don't blame you because it's heavy. Yeah. Um, and then the other one that was pulled for me, um, Danielle's poll, was This Is My America um, by Kim Johnson. So that was a fiction book, but very much steeped in current events. So I'll be very interested to see. How I feel about that one. Uh, another one that I don't remember why I added it to my TBR, but other than that, like it looked interesting. So, yeah, for sure. Well, and we should all be proud of Caroline because she has gotten under 1800 bucks. She is at 1797, I think, as of her full today. So, yep. And uh, I'm slowly working on her, guys. We're working on I blame Les Miserables for the, uh, normally I would put like a real big dent in that number because I'm a pretty avid reader, but I just finished Les Mis and holy cow, that was a 53-hour audiobook. So, wowza. I don't think I would have had the patience for that. Mm-mm. No, I don't think anybody does. I don't think anyone's built with that kind yeah. of patience. So, That's um, like yeah. over two days. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. You'll hear all about that in the Pop Sugar Recap podcast at the end of the year because I do not have the capacity to recap it, uh, maybe ever, but definitely not just yeah. having finished it. So I feel that. Yeah. Aww. I'm excited. This yeah, me too. It's still been a very fun thing for us to do. We've Actually, we've officially, uh, like, I guess we can announce, we've officially gotten our um, podcasting schedule for 2024 and the TBR podcast Still rolling, baby. Yep, we're going to keep at it. Yep. So. so we'll see y'all all next time and next year. Look at that. I can't go want that all the way at the fall. Yep. So, yep. Love it. Love it. Yep, me too. Very exciting. Well, this has been Caroline. And Sierra. And we'll say goodbye to Danielle's behalf. But thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ.